And if you will then turn to Hebrews chapter 10, as we continue to make our way through Hebrews, and you'll notice uh, perhaps that Hebrews has 13 chapters. So we're getting near the end, and this is somewhat of the beginning of the end, if you will. He's, uh, our author's gonna kind of wrap up this, this long idea that he's had for several chapters. We've been kind of going over some uh, things uh, and they get repeated. Um, we're going to get into some exhortation. In fact, uh, chapters uh, 10 through 12, there's uh, some very famous verses that we're going to come across in the next few weeks. Uh, some great teaching. There's that great uh, chapter on, on faith and, and some of the heroes of our faith in chapter 11. Uh, but when we look at chapter 10, it's somewhat of a long chapter, and we have uh, somewhat of a long passage. Now, there's a lot of Old Testament quotes in our passage, and that's what makes it uh, a little longer. Uh, but there will be these recurring themes uh, that, again, we're going to drive home and take a look at this idea of Christ's once-for-all sacrifices, or sacrifice. He's been uh, mentioning this. Uh, throughout, and we're going to take a closer look at it this morning. And so let me read uh, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of goats or bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. 
the word of the Lord. Some of you, well, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths in it, the promises and the assurance that we find in it. We ask that you speak these truths into our hearts now as we examine your word, that your Holy Spirit will make your truth known to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are familiar uh, with Greek mythology, and, and I will admit it's not really my thing, uh, but some stories stick out just because of, of how they're written and, and kind of the, the message behind the story. Some of you uh, might recall uh, the story of Sisyphus. And even if you don't know the name, maybe the story uh, will be a little familiar. Uh, he's this guy who is forced to roll this immense boulder up a hill day after day. Um, and we're not going to get into why he's resigned to do this. But, but every day he has to push this boulder up a hill and then it rolls back down and he has to labor and, and push it back up the hill again. And, and sometimes... Uh, when you're involved in a laborious and seemingly futile task, sometimes uh, it's referred to as a, a Sisyphean task, if you've ever heard that phrase. Um, but that story kind of resonates with all of us. We all know that feeling of, again, I'm doing this over and over again, and every day you wake up, and it's, I'm doing this again. Uh, and you have that thought, when can I just sit down and be done with this? When does this just end and I'm over with it? Uh, but like Sisyphus, you get up and you know, I'm going to roll this boulder back to the top of the hill and watch it roll back down again. Uh, and, and the author of, of Hebrews, as, as he writes this, he talks about Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, and then Christ sits down. And, and there's, there's a great message in this, and, and he, he hits on some ideas that he's been going at, and he kind of sets up the, the whole uh, passage here in the first four verses with some ideas that, that we look at, and then he talks about uh, the, that this, uh, the law, or the mosaic system as it's called, the, the Levite priests, uh, just a shadow of, of what's really happening. Uh, in heaven. You see that in verse 1. Uh, in verse 2, there's this idea of the repetitive nature of the old covenant, the priests uh, continually uh, with these sacrifices. It's, it's not a complete, it, it, it wasn't final. Uh, it, it's incomplete. Uh, in verse 4, there's the ineffectiveness of the, the blood of, of beasts. And, and we'll get to uh, some of these ideas and, and tie them together. But I want to go back to verse 3 and actually start there. And the function of the Levitical sacrifices or the function of what happens. You see in, in verse 3, in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. Now specifically, he's talking about the Day of Atonement. Every year, uh, the high priest would go in and, and offer a sacrifice, and actually he had to make several sacrifices even to get into the Holy of Holies, and then uh, there was this whole thing, it's in Leviticus uh, chapter 16, but it was a reminder, everyone watching that would know 
We're sinners. That's why we're doing this, because uh, we sin. And actually, there were sacrifices all the time, and he mentions that later on in the passage, but there were feast days, and there were sin offerings, and guilt offerings, and, and thank offerings, and firstborn offerings, and offerings for this, and offerings for that. And, and as uh, if you were there on the streets in the tent or, or the temple, uh, every day, pretty much, you would see people going with their bulls and goats and sheep and grain and doves and whatever they might have and every time you would see that your idea would pop in your head well we're sinners it was a continual reminder of sin but notice what's not being said in verse 3 it said there's a reminder of sin every year but what's not being said there and I'll give you a hint, it's, it's in verse 4. We're going to come to this idea a little bit later, but, but the idea you don't see there is forgiveness. We get a reminder of sin, but, but where's the forgiveness in this? And, and when you contrast, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, when you contrast verse 3 with verse 17, and he's quoting from Jeremiah in verse 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That's the goal. That's what we're after. But where do you find that in the Old Covenant Levitical system? Now, as we look at that system, though, what we have to remember is that God set that up. Uh, it is valid and it is good. It wasn't just a big uh, waste of time. And, and, sometime, and I bring that up because sometimes we have this idea uh, when we look in the Old Testament that we give it almost a, a second-tier status and, and some will just uh, bypass it altogether almost. In fact, some pastors go so far as to say we have to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, which is completely wrong. There's, there's a purpose to it. Although sometimes you'll read and you'll think, why? You know, I, I happened to start Leviticus uh, in my Bible reading uh, this past week, and I'm reading through skin conditions and thinking, where's Christ in these skin conditions? And, and he's there. I mean, there is a reason for all of this. You don't just uh, pass it by. Maybe someday we'll go through Leviticus, and, and, uh, but I'm not going to take the time to do that now. But even the most well-intentioned person can sometimes wonder, well, where's Christ in the Old Testament? Well, uh, we remember that the disciples and, and even Jesus himself uh, used the Old Testament to preach the gospel. Uh, the most famous is, is the Emmaus Road when the two disciples were walking trying to figure things out and, and uh, Jesus, starting with Moses and the prophets, was basically preaching the gospel to them. There, there's a purpose in, in what's going on uh, in this Old Covenant and, and that's good and it's good for us to study but what the writer wants us to see here also is, you know, if these people in the Old Testament would have really been looking, they, they'd have seen this. He's going to use the Old Testament uh, to preach the gospel. And it's, it's almost as though he's saying, look, you, you first century Jewish people, as he's writing to them, who are tempted to go back to Judaism, you know, even if we look in the Old Testament, we're going to see Jesus there. Um, we, we can't just disregard that. And if everyone had been looking, you would have seen him. And, and uh, they would have seen that, that the blood of, of bulls and, and goats 
was never enough. It was never the long-term solution. And so he uses Psalm chapter 40, verses uh, 5 through 9. Uh, we see that here, or in verses 5 through 9, that he's using Psalm 40. And if you look at Psalm 40, you would notice that it's a psalm of David. Uh, yet, uh, the writer here mentions when Christ came into the world, he said, uh, and so here we get this uh, affirmation that uh, Christ uh, was speaking these words uh, through David. So this is God's word, that Old Testament God's word. We see that also uh, when in the, we see the Holy Spirit uh, in the words of Jeremiah in verse 15. But, but the Old Testament was very clear as, as in saying animal sacrifices are not the answer. Uh, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired in these burnt offerings and, and sin offerings. And we get the same message in, in 1 Samuel and Amos and Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah. There's other Psalms as well. The, the people knew they were looking for a Messiah. They just didn't understand the whole uh, sacrifice thing. What's going to happen there? And if they had been looking, they would have noticed these sacrifices you're making right now, this isn't, this isn't the final answer. Um, you would have seen where Christ is saying, where God is saying, but a body you have prepared for me. And this, this becomes an important part. And, and it's been an important part of Hebrews. Chapter 2 uh, was very adamant about Jesus was a real man, is a real man. Uh, he walked around. The disciples uh, were also very big on that. In, uh, in Hebrews 1, our writer, remember, established that Jesus is really God. And then in chapter 2, Jesus is really a man. And this uh, is our sacrifice, this man who is God. But even more than being a man, he comes to do the will of God. In verse 7, Behold, I have come to do your will. Oh God. Um, and we see that Jesus is motivated by love here. He's not going to the cross simply because someone is leading him to the cross and, and he's just kind of stumbling into being a sacrifice. Uh, in, in John 6, uh, Jesus told his disciples, I've come down from heaven to do the Father's will. Not my own will, but, but the will of him who sent me. Uh, Paul would write in, in 1 Timothy 1, the saying is trustworthy and true, that, that Christ uh, came into the world to save sinners. Uh, you see, part of the issue with the animal sacrifices, uh, in addition to not being human and, and inferior to humans, is that they weren't willing, really. They were just kind of being led along. But they weren't willing, really, to do the Father's will. They had no intention of what they were uh, doing, no knowledge of, of what was going on. You know, as if you were to watch and some guy's leading his goat uh, to the temple, that goat's not saying, oh good, I'm, I'm going to be a sacrifice. I'm going to die for this guy. The goat is thinking, I hope there's food somewhere along the way. I, I don't know what animals think, but I'm just assuming there. But, but what we see here that, that that this, this uh, willing sacrifice um, that Christ makes uh, in verse 9 does away with the first in order to, to establish the second. And as it says in verse 10, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering uh, 
of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus offers himself. Uh, one theologian writes, there was a sacrifice which answered to the will of God as no animal sacrifice could. And when you look at verse 4, um, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then uh, tie that together with verse 11, um, which can never take away sins. The sacrifices uh, that the priests were making can never take away sins. Uh, we see what our writer is, is telling us here. Human effort is never going to take away sin. Uh, our temptation may not be to sacrifice bulls and goats, but it is part of our human nature to want to take away our old sins or our own sins. Um, you know, if, if I lived back in this time, you know, I could, I could kill every bull around. You know, and then brag about it. I'm the, I'm the biggest, baddest, bull-killingest buckaroo that ever lived, you know. And, and I've killed every bull I could find, and then some. And, and God would say, not good enough. That's impossible. It, it, it's, it's not going to work. And then I could go out for every goat. I'm the greatest, grandest, goat-killingest guy that ever lived. And, and God would say, still not enough. Still not forgiven. Forgiveness is all of Christ. And our writer has been driving that home and we see here, he's saying everything they were doing, in, it was a God-ordained uh, sacrifice they were making. And they could have killed every bull and goat on the face of the earth and it was never going to take away their sin. We can do anything we want it will never take away our sin. It's all of Christ. And the author actually wants them to think about uh, these old covenant sacrifices a bit and, and just use some logic and this idea that, you know, doesn't the fact that these sacrifices are always happening show that they're incomplete? You know, in verses uh, 11 through 14, uh, he, he makes that point. In verse 11, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, you know, over and over again, pushing that boulder to the top of the hill, if, if you will. It reminds me of, of me when I fix something. Uh, you know, I'll repair something and then use it for a little while and then I'll fix it again and, and use it for a little while and I'll fix it again. And it's, uh, am I ever really fixing it? No, I'm just kind of getting by from, from day to day until uh, eventually it falls apart and I get to buy a new one or something. But I'm not really fixing it. And that's kind of what this old uh, covenant was like and kind of what we try to do sometimes. We, we oh, I'll get by from day to day, but we need to fix the problem. And the old covenant wasn't doing it or that first covenant, uh, as, as our author would say. But you contrast verses 11 and 12 and what's happening there. In verse 11, the priest stands daily at his service. But then in verse 12, 
But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat. He sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, the right hand, by the way, and we're not going to get into it uh, too much this morning, but that right hand of God is the position of power and the position of glory and the position of victory. He is victorious and, and, and waiting for that time when, when he'll make his enemies his, his footstool, but he sat down. Uh, remember, we've gone through some of the uh, items in the tents. Uh, we, we talked about that, and, and the writer of Hebrews talked about that, the lampstand and the altars and, and the things that Moses was supposed to build. And did you ever notice in there that uh, Moses was given no instruction of the chair he should build? There was no chair in there. He didn't say, take acacia wood and make a chair. The priests weren't going to sit down. They were going to be standing, making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. A job that they would continually do and wasn't taking away sin. But uh, as F.F. Bruce writes, a seated priest is the guarantee of a finished work and an accepted sacrifice. Now that Christ is seated uh, doesn't mean that he's inactive. In fact, the writer has clearly told us earlier that, that he's making intercession for us and that he's there on our behalf, but, uh, but the work of sacrifice is done. And when you look at verse 14, by a single sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The terms of the new covenant uh, make full provision for past sins and they will save us in the future as well. It's not as though Christ is sitting there thinking, when I'm going to have to get up and do this all over again. Full provision for all those who are being sanctified. And the new covenant gives us what, the, what that first one couldn't, and we see that in verses 15 through 18. And this is a quote from uh, Jeremiah 31. As, as we see, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Uh, to quote uh, Philip Hughes, and I've quoted him from time to time, he writes this, Not only are God's laws implanted in the hearts of the redeemed so that they are able at last to glorify him by spontaneous obedience to his will, but also the rebellion of the past, ungenerate lives is removed from his remembrance. Remember what that first covenant was doing? It was just bringing your sins to remembrance. But here we have those sins aren't remembered anymore. Uh, to continue with Hughes, at, at last, the longing of the centuries has been satisfied. True forgiveness of sins is provided by Christ's one perfect sacrifice of himself on the cross. And we cannot and need not add to the perfection of the work of Christ. And this really takes the pressure off of us. Because like Sisyphus, uh, some of us 
I do try to roll that stone up the hill each and every day. Uh, or sometimes we'll think this. We'll think, all right, I don't have to push that stone up the hill. Jesus and I will do it together. I'll work with him to push this stone up the hill. And, but I better hold up my end of the deal. And this takes the pressure off of us. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of when I was a child, and I have no idea why I remember this so well, but uh, my dad worked at a building supply company, and, and one night uh, he said, oh, I'm going to get a phone call. I have to go. Some semi-driver got caught up in traffic, and, and so he's coming in late, and I'll have to open up the building and help him unload. And, and uh, so the phone call came, and, and uh, I went with my dad. I don't know why he took me with, but I went with him, and... and uh, we unloaded some things, and they unloaded most of it. I got to carry some small light boxes. And, and at the end, then, the, the truck driver said, okay, everybody count how many boxes there are. And so we all counted, and, and how many did you get? I got 22, 22, 20. Okay, so good. We all got the same number of boxes, and he looked at his sheet. He said, yes, 22 is what we need. This is perfect. And, and as he handed the invoice to my dad, he kind of looked at me, and he said, if we were any more right, we'd be wrong. And I think of that when I think of Christ's perfect work. If I try to make Christ any more right, any more perfect, I've done something wrong. And I've missed it. Christ's sacrifice is perfect. And I can't add anything to it without going wrong. And in this, we seek to do the Lord's will. But like Christ, we can do it out of love. We can do it out of love for God. We can do it out of love for our neighbors, knowing that that idea of figure out how to be perfected before God, that's checked off the list. That stone has been removed. It's not even remembered anymore. Praise God for our perfect sacrifice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. The freedom to be your children, doing your will out of pure love, knowing that our great high priest and his sacrifice saves us now and forever. And we don't have to try to do the impossible. We don't have to try to save ourselves, but Christ was perfect in what he did. And his sacrifice is perfect to save us for all time. Help us grow in that truth. And we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, if you will stand, you can spread out a little bit if you want. And uh, Becky, if you want to get us started in the doxology. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
Well, I thank you, and I, for one, have liked this breeze, even though it meant clamping down on some papers, uh, but thank you uh, this morning. And our benediction comes from 2 Thessalonians. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good word and work. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Got it? Clear. All right. Thank you.